Welcome back to the Ishan Ash Show. In today's episode, we'll be taking a look at the recent statewide elections in Virginia and New Jersey, as well as the various municipal elections across the country. We'll talk about the impacts of the people in office, their impacts on the political scene, and indications of for the 2022 midterms next year. We'll be taking a look at those stories and more today, November 5th, 2021. From Anchor by Spotify, this is the Ishan Ash Show, a podcast about the interesting and ever-changing world of American politics, all from the perspective of a 15-year-old. With me, your host, Ishan. Welcome back to the Ushana Show. I'm so happy to have you all back on the show again. Last week, I was unable to release a new episode due to technical difficulties. You know, I may know how to do a lot of things, but I still don't get how to work technology. <laughs> but anyway, last week's episode was going to be more of one of those speculative episodes where I was planning on ta- taking a look at where the elections were headed that were scheduled in New Jersey and Virginia. Now, during our fun break, uh, unplanned break, might I add, those elections occurred on Tuesday, and we got some pretty interesting results. I want to first take a look at Virginia. So, in Virginia, incumbent Democrat Governor Ralph Northam was not constitutionally able to run for a second term due to a provision in the Virginia Constitution that basically dictates that governors are not allowed to hold two consecutive terms in office. He's fine to come back, but only in four years. So this year, our two people running to replace Northam were former Virginia governor Democrat Terry McAuliffe, who was essentially doing the con- what the Constitution said he could, and businessman Glenn Youngkin. So McAuliffe is, you know, your typical Obama-era Democrat. He was first elected governor in 2009. Uh, no, not 2009, actually. That was wrong. 2013. And um, I believe that was right after President Obama's re-election. During, the, during this year's campaign, he stood for standard Democratic agenda items like, you know, mask and vaccine mandates, abortion, parental rights in schools, education, bringing businesses to the state, and... Then Youngkin, on the other hand, was a first-time candidate, but he was surprisingly very successful. He ran a private equity firm in Virginia, so and he was he had a lot of money. I think one source said that his net worth was about four hundred million dollars. So he had a good amount of money to fund his campaign. He basically stood for policies that were on the opposite of McAuliffe's agenda: questioning the mandates, school choice, more businesses and making critical race theory an issue of the campaign, stuff of that nature. That's kind of what politics has become. Now, while both of these candidates were the hot shots of the election, they were relatively speaking pretty moderate. This is because we're talking about Virginia. I mean, this state has gotten progressively more and more Democrat over the years, but it still retains the swing state status in my view. Politicians in the state really need to be smart about what they say, stand for, and what they're willing to make issues for their campaigns. So while these guys 
are moderates. Uh, they were a bit more further down their respective sides. So you could say like a bit more of a partisan moderate, if that makes sense. Now, during the campaign, both sides pulled out the big guns with President Trump, Ted Cruz, Mike Pence, all coming to support and endorse Yunkin, while President Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris were drafted to support McAuliffe. This race also raised a lot of money, like a decent amount. $115 million circulated to fund each of these, or between each of these campaigns. A testament to both the new style of campaign financing strategies, as well as how important this race was for both parties. Now, to end the suspense, McAuliffe lost and Youngkin won. We're kind of at a point where we're not close to the past presidential election, but we're not too close to the midterms either. While it's generally accepted that the midterms are a referendum on the president's governing, these off-year elections, like this one, are just as good of an informal survey indicator to see how the president is doing. You'd also be right to think that these elections like to follow some sort of pattern. I believe since President Carter's election back in 1977, Virginia governor elections have generally very comfortably gone to the opposition party. So Democrat president, Republican governor, and vice versa. The only exception to this rule was Terry McAuliffe's own election after Obama's 2012 re-election victory when McAuliffe succeeded an outgoing Democrat. So generally, looking at most of the elections, it was kind of expected that this election might be more likely to go a certain way. But when the political discourse changes as fast and as rapidly as it has been in our country over the past five or six years, it wasn't the dumbest thing to perhaps question these rules. Because for the longest time, many people thought that McAuliffe could have actually pulled off a second time uh, being, or his, a second, or rather, being a Democrat succeeding a Democrat governor a second time. I mean, he's done it before. Why not? That was really poorly worded. <laughs> but look, because this was an off-year election, its impacts are not going to be seismic, you know, not as bad as the midterms could be. But Youngkin's victory should be sending chills down the spines of Democrats everywhere. I mean, precedence was on Youngkin's side, but I think many people, like I said, felt that McAuliffe might have a chance at actually winning. Polling up to Election Day, I think maybe, what, Election Day was on Tuesday. I think until Saturday, people were seeing a dead set tie. And then I think maybe Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, things started to shift just a tad bit in the Republican side. But really, it was just always kind of this really dead tie that nobody really understood where it could go because it could have gone either way. That's how it was for a long time. And that's why we were also watching this election so closely. President Biden and other leaders in the Democratic Party also felt like it. So when they lost on Tuesday, it had to have gotten the Biden administration. And again, Democrats everywhere thinking about 2022. Now, it's something that 2022 Democratic candidates really need to think about. Can President Biden help me win? The thing is, we have a lot of legislation that the Democrats want to pass, but can't pass. 
I mean, look, President Biden ran on a platform to get some promises, uh, promises fulfilled that he would get some things done. But the problem is with all the gridlock that's been happening in Washington and, you know, so much of my show has been about gridlock in Washington. But because of all this gridlock in D.C., we don't get to see see we don't get to see a lot of work done from Biden. And this is the problem. Democrats cannot prove that they are able to get things done. And it puts them in a really funny spot because right now they're a 50-50 Senate with only VP Harris to break the tie and a f- f- four seat, no, three seat, three to four seat majority in the House. So they can't get a lot done without having everyone on board with in the Senate. Like there's no exception in the House. Maybe you can cut off one or two people, but that's about it. And it's funny because they need more people if they want to get their agenda passed and or if they want to get things in their agenda done. But right now, the only way they can get more people to vote for them is if they can show for it, that they can show, hey, we're doing stuff. So it puts them in this really weird and funny paradox. And that's what's kind of ruining things for Democrats. I won't say it's a lost cause for them to win the elections. By no means is that ever possible because you can never call off a party not until the day of the election if something stupid happens because that's usually where you can pull the line i'm not going to say that democrats have done nothing so therefore they will not win in 2022 and to people that think that they can say that i i disagree with you i think we need to give them more time with that being said and my entire spiel about that projections do show that Democrats are set to lose the House. Nobody even wants to talk about the 50-50 Senate. But I'll say, just from seeing the seats that are up next year and previous years, um, how the midterms have gone for Democrat presidents, Democrats can feel just a tad bit more relieved about the Senate. But the House, again, I'm not going to say it's a lost cause, but Democrats really need to think about their priorities and what they want to get done because Right now, the House is falling from their hands because, again, the House is their race to lose. And again, to reinforce the fact, Youngkin winning is bad news for Democrats and welcome news for their friends on the other side, the Republicans. In addition to the governor's mansion, Democrats also lost the position of lieutenant governor to former Marine Winsome Sears, who is also the first female and person of color to become lieutenant governor in um, the state of Virginia. And Democrats also lost the position of attorney general. Okay, so that was a look at the implications of the election in Virginia. When we come back from our break, we'll talk about the governor election in New Jersey, as well as other races across the country and their implications on both of the parties. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. All right. Voters in New Jersey reelected Governor Phil Murphy to a second term this Tuesday. But the real news story is how unexpectedly close this race got. Now, when you think about it, New Jersey is one of those states where if you're a Democrat, generally you should feel safe about your election. But on Tuesday, as was the theme of the evening, things got close. 
they weren't able to call this election until Wednesday at like 5 or 6 Central Standard Time. Now, mind you, that Governor Phil Murphy is a Democrat in Democrat State, New Jersey. When you put two things together, generally, generally, you'd think Phil Murphy would come out the victor pretty soon. However, he didn't. That was the fun part of this night. We were waiting and waiting and waiting. A quick background. Governor Phil Murphy is a Democrat from New Jersey who is a governor. (laughs) Uh, He became really popular during the COVID-19 pandemic. He's in that class of governors who really shot up in popularity in the sense that many people were recognizing his name uh, just because of how he was handling the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, like when Trump was in office paying lip service to the federal government or, you know, working with the Biden administration after he became president. Um, he, he enters a group of governors like South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, Michigan's Governor Gretchen Whitmer, California's Gavin Newsom, former New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. He entered that class of governors and It was for his policies and also just how he was working with all the states around him and really with all states in general to try to mitigate the COVID-19 crisis. So he really shot up in popularity there. And he's like a liberal-ish governor. I say liberal-ish because these days in politics, being when you when you call somebody a liberal, it's generally somebody who's, you know, far, far down the left. Uh, Governor Murphy is not particularly that kind of Democrat. He's a bit more of a center-left kind of guy, where Biden stands, I'd say. And Biden is not generally accepted as a liberal by everyone in the Democratic Party. So we're going to say that Phil Murphy is a liberal-ish kind of guy. Now, it's funny. We were waiting for this election to be called just because for a long time. And it was not because we wanted to hear, you know, a confirmed Democrat victory. It was just because it, it, it took so much longer than we anticipated. Like I said in the beginning, uh, right after we got back from the break, five or six o'clock Central Standard Time. So that's like six or seven o'clock Eastern. We were waiting that long to find out who won. I remember that night I was running through the New York Times, reloading the page on Tuesday on election night, waiting to get results. And to insert a shameless plug to the Shanash Show's social media, if you were on the Twitter page, um, you would have known that I was covering the elections and in particular the, um, the New Jersey governor election. I was tweeting that it's too close to call. We aren't there yet. The next day, I had a field trip. So even on the field trip, I was just refreshing New Jersey governor returns uh, or election returns to see what we would get. But most of the time, it was like a very, very close race. Last time I checked the actual results as they were coming in, I don't remember when. But when I was checking them in, we were at 88% of votes in. And by then we had cast, we had about like, I think, 2.5 to 3 million votes cast. And even then, the candidates, Republican, um, the Republican candidate who is challenging Governor Murphy, I'm can't, I cannot recall his name right now, but he 
was essentially in a dead tie with Murphy. They were separated by only 0.25%. Guys, that's 3 million votes and 0.25% is what's dividing them right now. So it was like a very, very thin margin. You can't call an election with that close. So we were just waiting. Finally, finally, hours later, I got the notification on Twitter I um, from NPR, political probably, I don't know. But it said, New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy has been reelected. And then I quickly tweeted it. And then as soon as I tweeted it, I w- it was just kind of like, did he though? Did he? Did we get an actual result yet? Or is it just like one of those things where I misread the tweet? Because it's happened before. <laughs> so I checked one more time. And this time I had reason to believe that he may have not won yet. Um, because it was so close. But he did win, and so the tweet stayed. And then I, I was just, I just, I was thinking, like, how could it get this close? That was the question um, that many pundits were asking, and many people in D.C. and in Democratic politics were asking. You are in New Jersey, our blue, blue Democrat New Jersey, yet here we are with a forty-nine point whatever, I don't even know, like 49.18 to maybe 49% difference in the election results. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm right. I just may put those two numbers together. It was around 49 to 49%. Very close. So when you're telling me that this is a reliably Democrat state, I really have to question that. Um, not, not New Jersey's voting st- uh, standards in a whole in general, but just for this specific race. Like, I really have to question how much how much Dem- Democrats might have felt, how confident they might have felt about this because I don't think they, they, they really had a reason not to because Virginia, look, is another story. Virginia is more swingier of a state. I mean, Democrats are strong in New Jersey and Virginia, don't get me wrong, but Virginia is just a bit more swingy, <laughs> swingy they're a bit more closer to that swing state status than new jersey will be i think biden won here by a huge margin against trump as did hillary clinton as did obama both times so i don't think anybody had any reason to believe that new jersey might have gone red except for again a pattern that we see in off-year elections which is generally that even in new jersey since 1977, no governor has been reelected to um, either it's that they've never been reelected or no governor has been reelected. Actually, it's probably. Yeah, I think it's I believe it's from since 1977. No governor from either party has been reelected before. Uh, so. So Phil Murphy kind of broke that record and he got reelected by a narrow margin nonetheless, but still. He broke that record, although I kind of felt like maybe we should have kind of expected that Phil Murphy was going to win by a larger margin. It's a fair thing to say. Um, polls had indicated something. Fundraising had shown some strength with the Republican challenger, but still, again, you're, you're talking about an incumbent governor in a Democrat state who did have more money, I believe. So it was lopsided in his favor. So... 
really, it shows that how, like, the Democrats did not, they kind of dropped the ball here in New Jersey. And it's not their fault. It's just how quickly and how fast the mood shifted in this state uh, for for many Republicans and how what got them out to vote. So, yeah, that was New Jersey's election. Close. Unexpectedly close. Now, what does this election and the Virginia election mean for Democrats and Republicans? So, looking at it holistically, Democrats performed poorly this time. Um, there's no point in sugarcoating that at all. Democrats did have a very poor showing in this year's off-year elections, and it's the same way Republicans had a very poor showing in 2017. In 2017, we had a Democrat win a Senate seat to represent the state of Alabama. For my uh, listeners who don't know what that means, Alabama is like, when you're politically speaking, or rather electorally speaking, Alabama is about as Republican as you can get. So they, so when they elected a Democrat to be their senator, it was so unexpected. Like, what, what did, what happened? Granted, the Republican nominee had done some pretty heinous things, and this came to light very close to election day. I'll, I'll say I, that did happen, but still, it's like, what is what everybody was saying after Election Day in Alabama? So generally, off-year elections are not in favor of the incumbent president's party. It's a rule that applies most of the time. I think there may be a few exceptions in modern American history. But a general rule of thumb is if you're a president of the Democratic Party or the Republican Party, you're going to probably expect the opposition to pick up some stuff in the off-year election, especially the year after your presidential election. So that's where it was funny uh, to watch. We were just waiting and waiting and waiting for the results, and it got close because the Republicans did come out to vote for their Republican candidate, whereas Democrats may have not done enough uh, to elect, or rather re-elect Phil Murphy. And in Virginia... They just kind of, um, they just kind of, you know, did they did just they just couldn't make it. So again, like I said, holistically, Democrats had a poor showing this year, and is it indicative of President Biden's time in office? Maybe I don't know because again, we're following certain patterns here, so maybe it didn't have to always, or it's not always the case where we're strictly following that rule of elections, but maybe some of it could be on Biden. I'd say yes. And like I said before the break, candidates across the country who are thinking of running in 2022 for either state legislative office or for cabinet, um, or not cabinet positions, positions like attorney general or governor, statewide elections, you have to think to yourself, can President Biden really help me win? This was a warning sign to Democrats. It was a warning sign that, yes, even if you have a president who was liked for a while, we are not guaranteed victory in 2022. You're going to have to work, work hard. And for Republicans, this is, again, a welcoming sign, welcome sign. Like, they just picked up 
one seat in Virginia, the lieutenant governorship and the attorney general position. And they were just just so close in New Jersey. This was if they had won New Jersey, then it would have been a really bad sign. I mean, I guess they didn't win New Jersey. So the Democrats do get to keep that. But again, Democrats need to take stock. And I think it's because of just how much of their legislation and their ability to get things done has been stalled. When President Biden was elected to be president, he was elected on a platform of promises that he said he would fulfill. He, he assured the American people, I'm going to fulfill these promises for you. So when he was inaugurated, he was inaugurated as president with a 50-50 Senate with only VP Harris to break the tie. And he was in a House of Representatives, or working rather, with the House of Representatives, which Democrats only controlled with a majority of about four, just four seats. So in the House of Representatives, they could afford to lose maybe one or two votes, but that's it. And in the Senate, there's no question. Like, there's just, no, you can't lose any votes. You need all the votes. And this really stalled President Biden's agenda. And this really prevented him from being able to get work done. If they even had just two more senators, I feel like they could have gotten so much done. But because they were in the position they were at, it, it made it hard. And because of that, President Biden has not been able to perform properly on his promises that he, he assured the American public he would get on. So it's not a failure of leadership. It's just an inconvenient position. And the funny thing is, when you're running in the midterms, you want to run on the midterms telling people that, hey, we get this done. We got this done. We did this. We're doing this. We want to do this because we did this. The funny position that Democrats are in right now is that they have power technically, but they have nothing like they're in such a bad position to get legislation passed that they just can't get policy out. And that really compromises their ability on getting their agenda checked off. And because of that, they can't tell the voters that they are, they're doing stuff because they're just stalled. It's so just simplified. It's like, I want to get the work. I want to get this work done, this bill passed so that my voters can reelect me or vote for my party. But if I'm unable to get that work done, then I can't tell my voters that I'm getting that work done. I can only say, if you elect my party again, we might be able to get that work done. So Democrats are in fierce negotiating mode right now to get anything done. And I've talked about this throughout the show in various episodes about how close and divided the Democratic Party is right now just speaking from an agenda perspective, uh, and two popular names which you might be familiar with, Kirsten Cinema from Arizona and Joe Manchin from West Virginia, they come up a lot. It's just these problems that are really, I'm not saying they're problems, I'm just saying that they cause inconveniences to President Biden's agenda. And this really prevents Biden from being able to tell the American people what he's getting done. And this is therefore tarnishing his ability to perform in elections. It's a very, very interconnected process, electoral politics in America. So the midterms right now may not be in the best spot. Again, 
I'm not going to leave that up to New Jersey's electorate and Virginia's electorate. Midterms are across America, so we'll let across America decide who wins in 2022. But uh, to close things off, to summarize this, this week's elections, Democrats, it's time to worry. Republicans, keep up the good work if you want to win the legislative branch of this government. And to Democrats, one other thing, I'd say that Democrats probably need to start taking stock of what their reality is because we are now closer to the midterms than we are to the previous election. So now you have less time to get work done. Until Tuesday, they had enough time to get policies passed, to show the world that, hey, we have a little more time, let's get this done. Now that Tuesday's over, they are in the waning days of the 117th Congress, and that means their control over the legislative branch now depends on the work that they do now. So Democrats, if they want to win in 2022, I'm sure they do. I'm sure they really, really want to expand on their majorities in both houses. If they want that to happen, then they're going to need to figure things out. And for Republicans, I think maintaining the same rhetoric that they maintained during this election, but also I think just what they've been doing to to halt the Democrats' agenda, it's a strategy that I guess is working for them. So if they want to win, I think they need to pursue that. But again, the 2022 midterms are a year away, so we're going to have to see what happens over the next year to make that prediction. And so that does it for us here today. Thank you so much for joining me for today's episode. If you liked my commentary, then go ahead and follow at the Ishan S Show on Instagram and Twitter for show updates and breaking news posts. If you want to hear more political stories, then check out my political news blog at the Ishan Do us a favor and share this episode and all the others with your friends and family. It's the best way for this show to grow and get more people listening to it. Thanks again for all your support, and I'll see you guys next week. Bye.